Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. And she decides to murder her for money. I think she should still be in jail. You murdered somebody, dude. Like. You murdered somebody in cold blood. That's not just a, a random robbery. That's not just something that happened. You went there, like, looked her in the eyes and murdered her. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And you know what? Before we start our episode today, we're going to do a little shameless self-promo right now because... On Monday, Billy, is Monday correct? That is correct. On Monday of next week, so five days from now, Alexis and I are guests on Billy's other podcast, The Murder Squad. That's right. And you guys entered the murder squad. We sure did. We can't and wait. A, and, and it was a it was a wonderful uh, appearance. You're going to learn a lot about a specific serial killer from the Northeast. And then that's going to lead into the next day. Wednesday. The, which I believe oh no, is. Tuesday the 9th. It's t- Tuesday the 9th, Tuesday which the 9th. is Discovery Plus's premiere of Unraveled, starring Alexis Linkletter with a special appearance by Billy Jensen. Oh, my gosh. Wait. Yeah. So before this is the last episode before Unraveled, the TV show comes out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thanks, friends. Thank you. Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer starring... Billy Jensen special guest appearance by Alexis will be <laughs> debuting hopefully with very um hopefully. resounding I don't know I hope people like it. I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. my point is is yeah, that no. we've been working on this a really long time. I've been working on this for like 5 years. Everybody passed on it. Never give up on your dreams. Discovery mm-hmm. passed on it. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the best podcast yes. ever. Like Everyone said, no, we don't want to do this. Discovery ID passed on it. Here we are. So if people say no to your dreams, yes. wow. just keep pushing. So, and te- you know what? And we still don't know what the measure of success is because it's a brand new streaming service. Mm-hmm. But all we have to say is that sign up for the streaming service, <laughs> watch it, then do what you will because that's how they're going to judge us. But you know what? I, I think it's re- I think it's pretty freaking damn awesome. So. 
I'm so proud of both of you. I mean, Alexis, I've seen all the work that you've done for that case over, you know, almost half of our friendship. So it's, it's so great, great to see everything coming together. And the fact that you're proud of it and you actually like what you guys are putting out, that says a lot too, because a lot of times things get all messed up in the process of putting a lot of hands into the bucket. So very proud of you. Everybody download Discovery Plus watch unraveled is it a weekly thing or no it's just is it all coming out at once yeah so it's a it's a two-hour special so it's like a movie really um and we have Mm. a code discovery plus backslash unraveled will get you a week free if you just want to try it out um and test it out and see what content is available there for you go ahead and do that and uh yeah it's true because we got really lucky in that we were also producing it in in addition to hosting it because it was like a a story that i was living and ultimately billy and i ended up living together on long island which is its own should have been its own behind the scenes comedy show really but um jack you've been the most supportive friend (laughs) i love you so much and you know if you you look at the butterfly effect i not i might not have been able to ever make this happen without the first degree and we could never have done the first degree without you and you know i'm so grateful for your support Mm -hmm. and i just love you so much and thank you for being such a good friend (laughs) and i'll start crying if we don't move on so i love you (laughs) oh oh my gosh well i'm super proud of you guys this is it's such a monumental week for you and i wish i would have led with that instead of our uh, (laughs) appearance on murder squad but (laughs) at least i was involved in that one (laughs) no you are involved you're chris jenner of this whole thing wait till the the truth comes out in in like an expose novel 30 years down the road jack manick is the chris jenner of me and billy's in the first degree Mm -hmm. and jared it's a whole puppet master situation happening over here and i'm here for it you you joke but (laughs) there's some truth in there so i won't say anymore um well wait what day is it today billy we totally forgot the day i was just gonna jump ahead i know but you know what billy jensen is gonna say that march 3rd oh yeah is National Talk in Third Person Day. I hate oh. this day. Alexis likes this day. <laughs> and Alexis hates yeah. Billy's hat. <laughs> we'll get into hat chat later. Yes. Um, Jack hates when people talk in third person. I feel like it's very psychopathic tendency. But what if quality? What about when it was the summer of George? And George did it. Summer of George is different. <laughs> Summer of George is different. That is the there's an exception to every rule, and uh, George Costanza is always that George exception. Is George is getting upset. <laughs> All right. It's also what if cats and dogs had opposable thumbs day? And is that just a like a normal? Yeah, if they had dexterous. Yes. It means they could mm-hmm. they could clench a doorknob and twist it. <laughs> That's what that means. Exactly. <laughs> then they would they wouldn't need us anymore. Nope. Uh, National Cold Cuts Day. Who doesn't like mm. a nice cold cut? Mm, I love it. Nice. Get yourself a good Sammy. Yes, me. Uh, yeah, yes, in Florida, me and Alexis had amazing sandwiches Ooh, at Publix. Publix. Mm, Publix is good. Publix, geez, who knew? Wawa is better, I think. I, I yes. don't know. Build and your own also, sub. It was pretty good. It was. It was very good. But it's also. I want you to be happy day. Oh, yeah, that's nice. I'm We're gonna send that day. out to everybody. Yeah, we want everybody to be happy. If you're not happy, stick around when we have killing time because we talk about Billy's sadness and um, how he covers it up with hats. But we'll get to to that later. Uh, But until then, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. 
The setting for today's case is Puyallup, Washington. For reference, this community is about 35 miles south of Seattle. It's home to the Washington State Fair, and it also hosts an annual Daffodil Parade. There are floats, all daffodil-themed, which takes place during the daffodil season, which I think is amazing. Puyallup is also one of the many cities and towns in Washington that have that sort of old-fashioned-themed downtown shopping area, and it has a little antique district, another thing that I love. This place really does sound like a perfect slice of picturesque Pacific Northwest, doesn't it? When I was younger, there's still farms and stuff, but within the last, I'd say, 15 years, it just consecutively has gotten much more populated. So now it's kind of just a suburb. Puyallup is still kind of a smaller town. That's Ian, our first degree. And you'll learn more about him and his connection to this story eventually. But sorry, you're going to have to be patient for now. We're going to start from the beginning. So today's case takes us back to August 31st of 2001. Fallen by Alicia Keys and I'm Real by J-Lo, which was such a hit, were topping the Billboard charts. Movies Jeepers Creepers, which is fucking terrifying, and Jane and Silent Bob Stripe Back, which is less terrifying, were playing in the theaters. And it was on the 31st of August of 2001 that a couple was anxiously waiting for their nanny to arrive to watch their children. Allison Spencer and her husband employed Dana Laskowski to watch their kids. And Dana was very dependable. So it was very, very strange when she failed to show up for work that morning. Dana herself was a mom of nine-year-old triplet girls. So she was the type of person who was organized. And if she said she was going to be somewhere, she was there. So after making several failed attempts to reach her, Dana's employers called the Puyallup Police Department to request a welfare check at Dana's home. The police arrived at 413 Northeast 2nd Street at 10.37 a.m. They knocked on the door several times, but were met with no response. After knocking for several more minutes, they tried to find a way to look inside. One officer peered through a front window and could see a figure lying on the couch. So they see someone inside. Now they're wondering, is this person sleeping? Is this person having a medical emergency? Or is there something worse going on here? And the person on the couch wasn't stirring because they were banging on the door. And there were calls for the police. So so that's concerning. They're not waking from any of that. EMTs are called to the scene. And the police gain entry to the home by working their way around the perimeter. So they go to the back of the house and they find that a back door is slightly open by about two or three inches. So they go in the door, they walk inside. And once inside, they scan for anything that's out of place as they approach this person that's laying on the couch. And they soon are able to see that it's a woman. And she had a blanket and a pillow on top of her. And she was face down. And if the police didn't know any better... At first glance, it looked like this woman was sleeping. But they're police, and they have instincts. And the fact that she hadn't moved or stirred with all that commotion, it made them believe that she wasn't sleeping. So they removed the blanket, and underneath they discovered a deceased woman who appeared to be in her mid to late 30s. And at a glance, they see blood around her mouth and nose. Her right arm was up, so that the right side of her face was resting on her right lower arm. 
and they look and they see that her body seemed to be posed in a rather grotesque and unusual manner. She was wearing a pair of dark elastic waist cloth pants and a tan collared t-shirt and a gold chain. She wasn't wearing any underwear or socks. Her shirt was pulled up over her breasts and her pants were pulled down slightly. She had abrasions to both elbows, a visible injury to her chin, and there was a one and a half inch mark on her neck that was really hard to the touch. She also had bruises on her left upper arm and clavicle area. And the positioning of Dana's body alone was all that the police needed to understand that this was not a natural death. More than likely, this was a scene of a homicide. The victim was eventually identified as 36-year-old Dana Laskowski. And by this point, the police had been made aware of the fact that Dana had triplets. And to the relief of everyone, Dana's nine-year-old daughters were not present at the scene of the crime. On the heels of such a terrifying discovery, there are a lot of things that needed to happen. First, Dana's family would need to be notified. Police needed to handle pragmatic aspects of this case, like where Dana's daughters were, so they could prevent them from arriving at a house roped off with crime scene tape. Then the investigation into who could have done this would need to commence. Lovers, past and present, friends, family members, employers, all would need to be looked into. Then, in tandem, a very meticulous processing of this crime scene would need to take place. Off the bat, police observed that there was no evidence of forced entry at the scene. It was only a back door that was left slightly open that was an indication of anything being amiss. There was blood spatter on the floor, on the ceiling, there was a substance that appeared to be blood. The location of the substance would be consistent with cast off from the blood that pooled around Dana's mouth and nose. All of the first floor windows of this home were locked and the blinds were drawn. The front door was deadbolted. And there was a pile of clothes next to Dana's body and they were collected as evidence and packaged. There were also impressions on the carpet that made it seem as though Dana had been moved or dragged about nine inches across the carpet. So the police went around the home and they found that several drawers in the living room had been pulled open and they'd been rifled through. But they couldn't tell if anything was missing from the home because Dana had just moved in to the house a month ago. And there was no one there at that point to identify what was missing. But there was one thing. What was clearly missing were the keys to Dana's house, as well as her wallet, which would contain her credit cards, any cash she may have had, as well as her driver's license. And as far as additional tests that the police conducted at the home, they dusted for prints and they did something that's called super glue fuming. I've never heard about this before. So if you haven't either, I'm going to kind of explain what it is. So the super glue method is a forensic science technique that uses the vapors of super glue to develop latent fingerprints. The fuming is performed in a developing chamber using super glue and water, which allows the vapors to adhere to the fingerprint, making the fingerprint visible. So once this print is visible, you can enhance it by using dyes or powders. And superglue fuming is a way to make fingerprint semi-permanent so the print can be dusted and tape lifted. And while generally speaking, this is a super interesting tidbit of forensic information, a new wrinkle in my brain, but there weren't any useful prints yielded from these tests conducted at Dana's house. But while this is all happening, word of Dana's murder had started to spread. And through that process, it became clear to police that Dana had many, many people in her life that loved her. 
An abundance of personal relationships means that you can infer a great deal about Dana's character, but it also shows that in the context of a murder investigation, that this now means a complex and arduous investigation. It's no surprise that Dana's family was crushed upon learning the news of her murder. It turns out that Dana, who herself was a talented artist, had a father who was notable in the art world, and his name was Bill Ross, not Bob Ross, to be clear. And Dana, in addition to being a committed mother, was also caring aunt to her 17-year-old niece, Amanda, who went to high school right down the street from Dana's new house. And this piece of information will paint a picture of what kind of person Dana was. Amanda was going through sort of a rocky adolescent phase, so Dana's house became sort of a sanctuary for her. Amanda would crash at cool Aunt Dana's house when she needed somewhere to retreat to or when she needed advice, and Dana would even let Amanda bring friends over to hang out and occasionally sleep over when needed as well. And heads up, some of the reporting and records referred to Amanda as being troubled, and I actually couldn't find any clarity on this, but I interpret this to mean that she was the rebellious type experimented with drugs, snuck out with boys, dabbled in relatively benign illegal activities that teens often do. But again, this is all speculative and I don't have clarity on what this troubled aspect really meant. Amanda was well-liked and popular at school, which remember the school was right down the street from the crime scene. So it didn't take long for news of Dana's murder to spread through the student body. Now here's our first degree Ian again. My friend Jeff had gone over to Amanda's aunt's house before during lunch. And I had saw Amanda's aunt one time because she drove by and Jeff waved at her and said something funny to her and she smiled and waved. And I was like, who's that? She's like, oh, that's Amanda's aunt. I think she stayed with her. And within the next week, it was all through the school that somebody had murdered somebody's parent we first heard. And it turned out to be Amanda's aunt. Of course, it was all over the news. So it was one of those things where it's like being that young, I didn't think of it. I thought it was some random act until later. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, 
that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So meanwhile, additional testing had been done at the scene of the crime. And like I said, they were dusting Dana's house for fingerprints. And All of the prints found at the scene were found to be Dana's, with the exception of a palm print, which could not be linked to Dana or anybody in her immediate family. So this is interesting. Who did this palm print belong to? Was it someone significant to the case or someone not related to this murder at all, like maybe a friend of one of her triplet daughters? Only time would tell. Dana's autopsy would ultimately reveal several things which included an injury to Dana's scalp on the back of her head. She also had bruises up and down each of her arms. Curiously, Dana also had a bruise on her inner thigh, as well as blood in her nasal cavities. Dana also had abrasions and hemorrhages in the soft neck tissue and muscles of her neck, as well as a fracture of the cricoid cartilage and petechiae of the eyes and face. FYI, petechiae forms when blood is rushed to the vessels starving for blood during typically an asphyxiation and the sudden rush of blood bursts the vessels. So Dana's matter of death was listed as homicide by strangulation. Court documents reveal that the medical examiner testified that Dana's physical murder could have taken quite a long time. Quote, considering the victim would struggle, causing the offender to lose their grip and have to reestablish once again. The fracture of the cricoid cartilage was also an indication that the person who did this had a great deal of strength. It was also worth noting that facial bruises in the form of any sort of punching were not present on Dana. Another thing worth noting is that at the crime scene in the kitchen, there was a set of knives kept in one of those knife blocks. So we have to realize that the killer opted not to use those and they opted for strangulation. So what does that tell us about our offender? So, okay, it's around this time that police would probably make a general assessment about exactly what they're dealing with here. So let's take a look at what we know so far. Number one, there was no forced entry into the home. And while there were items missing, it didn't seem as though robbery would have been the primary motive. Which brings me to number two. 
Dana's matter of death, strangulation, which is very intimate as far as a way to kill someone. And it kind of strays us away from the robbery or burglary theory. Then, of course, there's the fact that Dana's shirt was pulled over her breasts in the posing. And then also the fact that the Emmy said that this perpetrator would have to be strong. So what are we thinking at this point if you're a cop investigating this case? I mean, I would think immediately to a romantic partner, um, somebody that she was involved with when it comes to the posing of her body, when it comes to the um, the how the police or the investigators said that whoever did it was very strong. You're obviously going to think of a man immediately. Um, strangulation is so intimate. Like a lot of those things would just immediately point me to somebody that she had been romantically involved with. And the fact that the door was kind of just ajar in the back of her house would mean that it's somebody she probably knew. Yeah. If it's strangulation, particularly with the amount of, of injury that was happening to her neck, it's, it, I think they're basically saying that this wasn't strangulation that was ligature. Ligature typically is not as intimate as manual strangulation. Still potentially could be intimate, but if you look at ligature strangulation, the other things that you were saying, Jack, like body being posed, sexual assault, that those kind of things, like Boston Strangler did that, but he didn't know his victims. This seems very, very, very personal. Well, what was interesting and what I included is the fact that there was no facial bruising. So that was a particular note yeah. that I read. Usually when it is intimate partner violence, there's there's facial bruising. It starts with a punch to the face. It starts with beating to the face. Hmm. Or it, 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 it crescendos to beatings of the face. So that's something that they look for. Right. And an, But another thing, you know, this is all contradictory, and that's what's so fascinating about it, is that the killer – walked past a block full of knives, um, which means that hmm. as far as, you know, this this investigation was going, I, I pulled this from investigative notes. I didn't make this up. Their thinking was, okay, the killer walked past the block of knives. This means it wasn't planned. This was a second-degree impassioned interaction, which hmm. usually infers a romantic, you know, crime of passion. So we're seeing a lot of contradictory variables in this case. So we really don't know anything is is the bottom line. And when you're looking at cases, all these things, they're rabbit holes. They could tell us everything or nothing. So obviously the police have a big job ahead of them. So where do they start? That's always the biggest question. And in this case, there's a good place to start, and that's Dana's nine-year-old triplet girls. First of all, where were they, if not at home? Well, police learned that the girls were with their father, Dana's husband, Stan, who she had been separated from since October of 2000, so a little under a year. And Stan told police that he had met Dana in a rock and roll bar 12 years earlier. And when they met, Dana had just separated from a man who was abusive to her. And Dana's husband described Dana as a type of person that would go into a room and immediately she would get to know everyone in a really short amount of time. And she would become the center of conversation. She was personable. She was friendly. Everybody loved her. Stan also explained that nine years prior, they had tried to get pregnant and they couldn't. And they opted for in vitro, and the, but then that didn't work either. 
So ultimately, they opted to use donor eggs. And eventually, they had triplets. So fast forward to 2001, Stan and Dana had been separated for almost a year. And after the separation, Dana had moved in with her brother and then moved to the Hamptons apartment complex before ultimately moving into the house where she was ultimately killed. All right, so Dana's ex-husband. He had been with their three daughters on a fishing trip at Moses Lake, which was only two hours away. Stan said he spoke to Dana on the 30th, the day before her murder, for about 20 minutes, and he said it was an amicable conversation. When asked, Stan denied having anything to do with Dana's death. And Stan was armed with more than his word. He claimed that on the night that they presumed Dana had been killed, he had gone to a gas station before returning to his kids. After that, they all went camping the following morning, and the police would need to verify Stan's alibi, of course, before checking him off the list. So the police then spoke to Dana and Stan's triplets, and the three girls told police that on the night of Dana's murder, they weren't left alone by their father at any time, to their knowledge. And Moses Lake, where the girls were with their father, was two hours away from Puyallup. So doing the math, while it was possible that Stan could have snuck away opportunistically and slipped back before anybody noticed, it was honestly highly unlikely that he'd be able to really pull that off. And the triplets also told police that they had never seen any violence between their parents. So as tests from the scene continued to be processed and alibis were checked, police continued to interview those that were closest to Dana. And they spoke with a family that employed Dana as their nanny, the Stain family, who raised the alarm for the welfare check when Dana failed to show up for work. And they had some really interesting information to share with the police when they were questioned. So as their nanny, Dana would keep a daily journal of sorts to track the baby's day-to-day happenings as a source of records to show the parents. And a few months before Dana's death, Alice and the mom noticed that there was a strange entry on one of the days that the baby was in Dana's care. Dana had scribbled the name Pat, which was followed by a phone number. And the subject didn't come up at first, but Allison eventually did ask Dana about the entry and what it meant because it was kind of odd. And once asked, Dana launched into this story about this man named Patrick who was routinely harassing her. She had encountered Patrick while she was living at the Hamptons apartment complex, and he had arrived at her home to install her a cable when she moved in. And according to Dana, she had told Patrick that she wasn't interested in anything romantic with him from the very beginning. But Patrick didn't take no for an answer. He'd continuously call, he left her flowers, he sent her poems and letters to her house, which is super creepy. Dana ended the conversation with her boss by telling her, quote, if I ever go missing, he's the one. All right. So hold the phone. This Patrick dude seems very suspicious. So who is he? Where is he? And what is his deal? So the police wanted to question this guy like yesterday. So they did some digging, which revealed that this guy's full name was Patrick McEwen, and he worked for a company called Quest. We can only assume that he installed cable. The police pulled phone records and revealed a number of phone calls between Dana and Patrick. And for the most part, Dana was on the receiving end of these calls. On August 13th, a little over two weeks before Dana's murder, Pet called Dana four times. Then in the weeks prior to that, 
He had actually called Dana on nine other occasions. So that's a lot of unreturned calls, right? So in fact, the only returned call made by Dana ever was what was noted in court records that took place on July 25th, and they talked for 11 minutes. It's the only time Dana ever returned his calls. So alarm bells were going off for police. Dana's boss's account in conjunction with the incessant calling was basically enough for police to seek a search warrant to search Patrick's home for evidence that could possibly implicate him in this homicide. So the search warrant was delivered and executed, and Patrick was brought in for questioning. And what was really odd to police once Patrick arrived, they made an observation about his disposition. He was behaving really strangely. He was defiant. He was arrogant, and he seemed perturbed and put out by having to be there. None of these things are good signs when detectives are looking at this guy as a possible suspect. So the police search his home, and what do they find? They're going through it, and they find a lot of violent letters that were focused at a woman. Now, court records describe these writings as, quote, rather graphic handwritten notes that expressed anger towards a female. So Patrick is in front of them at the police station, looking really, really good for this. But some of the things he's saying aren't making a ton of sense, and they aren't aligning with the situation. To the point where the detectives eventually pick up on the confusion and they ask him, wait a minute, why do you think you're here? And so it turns out that when the search warrant was delivered to Patrick's house, Patrick hadn't even really read it. He just assumed that this warrant was related to a problem he was having with someone completely unrelated to this case. It was a problem over like some stolen property. So naturally, once the detectives realized this confusion... They told Patrick, sit down, read the warrant. And once Patrick reads the warrant, he sees the word homicide next to Dana's name, and he's stunned. And he asked them, has Dana been killed? Now, after this revelation, Patrick's demeanor softened. He chills out. He apologizes for his conduct, and he becomes a lot more cooperative. And just because Patrick is now cooperating doesn't exactly mean that he's no longer a suspect. You know, he was stalking her. He was writing these violent writings. And they still had a lot of questions that Patrick needed to shed light on. Starting with these writings discovered in his house. You know, he explained that the letters weren't about Dana. They were actually about his wife that he was separating from. And he wrote them as this way to cope with their divorce. And he said that you know, the situation was extremely painful for him to experience. And the detectives did know that a line from one of the letters said, quote, both of them having green eyes, but Dana had brown eyes. But regardless of that, the detectives have this note and they put it into evidence. So Patrick admitted to leaving poems for Dana and he admitted to the calls. And he said that the two never went on an official date, even though he was very interested in her. He denied stalking Dana, and he adamantly denied killing her. And he claimed that he had been at work all day the day that she was killed, and then he was with his friends at night, an airtight alibi that he encouraged the police to check. Patrick then provided fingerprints and DNA. And while all of this is useful, it's something Patrick said that Dana shared with him 
that really piqued their interest. He told the police about a guy named Mike, a guy from Canada who Dana was dating. All right, so... Obviously, the police have some work to do in terms of crossing their T's and dotting their I's to to possibly check Patrick off a list. But of course, they're wondering, who is this Mike guy? And could he be involved in Dana's murder? So to answer that question, they tracked him down. And once they met Mike at the police station, they learned that he was a filmmaker who was living in Canada and that they had become romantically involved in October of 2000. So even though Mike lived across the Canadian border, he and Dana would spend weekends with one another. You know, they'd been dating for almost a year. And in fact, Mike had spent the night at Dana's house on August 28th, only three days before Dana's murder. He says that on the next day, Wednesday the 29th, he got up at 4 a.m. and drove back to Canada. They had several conversations once he got home on that day on the 29th. And phone records supported this portion of Mike's story. Dana and Mike had a conversation also on Thursday the 30th, the day after that, for seven minutes. And he said that he had tried to call Dana on the 30th after that for the rest of the day, but she didn't respond. He made numerous calls that were met with silence, which was unlike her. The next morning, he woke up the 31st. He tried to call her again, and the same thing happened. And remember, the 31st is the day that Dana's body was found. All the while, Mike was calling her. And actually, when Mike couldn't reach her, he became so worried that he decided to drive all the way back to Washington to check on Dana in person. But fate would not allow Mike to reach Dana's house. He was actually stopped at the border. And according to court records, Mike said that he got a ticket at the border for being suspended. So he turned around and he went home. Now, there's no clarification on what this suspension is in regards to. But as far as the investigation is concerned, he had a copy of his ticket as proof of this story. And he continued to try and reach Dana as soon as he got home, but to no avail. Eventually, he tracked down the number of the family that Dana was a nanny for. And that is when he learned the news of Dana's killing. Mike seemed genuinely crushed by losing Dana. And he provided everything. He said, here's my fingerprints. Here's my phone records. Here's my DNA. He even volunteered to take a polygraph exam. Naturally, the police wanted more insight into Dana's relationship with Mike, because there's got to be more here. So they turned to Dana's best friend, Shauna Hanna, is what she's referred to in court records. Whether that's real, fake, not sure. But what Shauna told them next would raise a massive red flag for investigators. Shauna told investigators about a festival called the Francophone Celebration that she, Dana, and their friend John Harkin went to during a trip to Vancouver, British Columbia during the second week in July, which was just about six weeks prior to Dana's murder. Okay, so for some context, you heard how Dana was dating Mike, who was in Canada. This wasn't a long drive, right? This was a doable thing. Um, You know, Jack, Billy, relationships from Phoenix back to LA, doable, you know, a handful of hours. This was one of those situations. It wasn't a fun drive. It wasn't 30 minutes, but it wasn't a 10 hour drive. It was an hours long drive where you were able to maintain a relationship across borders. So this was Dana and Shauna going with a friend in, in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is very close to various parts of Washington. So anyway, back to this festival celebration thing, the three friends went 
to it. They had a great time. And then afterwards, they went to an after-hours bar and continued to drink and have fun. Here's the thing, though. Somehow, even though she had a boyfriend, Dana ended up going home with John. The next morning, John brought Dana back to where she and Shauna were staying. So John and Shauna were friends, right? John later tells Shauna that he and Dana ended up having sex. Here's the problem. Obviously, Dana has this boyfriend, Mike. Okay, imagine you're a police officer hearing this. This is all like something's going on here, right? So Dana has a boyfriend she's cheated on with this guy, John. But here's the thing. There's even a bigger problem here. Mike and this guy, John, were best friends. So when Dana talked to Shauna about this, she told her that Mike would flip out on her if he found out that she had cheated on him with his best friend. And the last words she spoke about it were, quote, if I end up dead, you know who did it. I know you didn't hear much from our first degree, Ian, in this episode, but we promise it comes into play once the truth of this case is revealed. So be patient because the twists and turns in this case are truly unbelievable and it will all make sense soon. Okay, well, a huge thank you to Ian and make sure to catch part two of this story next week. If you are listening out there and you think you have an interesting story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. No story is too small or too strange or too weird. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all the time. Also, sometimes not about true crime. And uh, stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not not that that close. close. Ooh, that was pretty good. Happy um, third person day. Alexis is happy it's third person day. No, Jack hates third person. The summer of George. It is the summer of George. Billy approves. Shout out to Jared Monaco for sound design and creating original music for The First Degree. Our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. And I got to tell you, the primary research source for this episode were straight up court documents. No articles available on this one. And as always, our First Degree guest is always our largest source. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm? It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. 
Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. There's so much going on in our lives right now. We were talking about like a million things before we started. The first thing that we have to really bring up is the fact that if Billy's audio was super shitty on this podcast, it's because his mic is moving around and he's starting, he's trying to keep up with it on the swivel that the mic is on. I think it's on a table. No, he's not fast enough to keep up with it because his head is being weighted down by an atrocious hat. But let's talk about the mic first and then we'll get to the hat because the hat (laughs) deserves its own conversation. All right. So here's the deal. He's just like a disaster right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm a disaster. Okay. So I have it. I got this new swivel, which is, which is great. You know, new mic stand arm, but I think it's on a, a table that is not, that's a little bit cockeyed or crooked. So it's just, it's just swiveling around. I have not yet mastered it. I will though. The sound is going to be perfect. Everyone. Don't you worry. I mean, it's not because you already just went in and out of the mic, just saying that one sentence, but you know what? That's okay. You'll figure it out. I think, but it's always one of us. There's a problem with a mic, but it's never me. It's always I appreciate. No, you. I'm glad it's Billy. Billy, you're going to take the heat off me for a minute, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always yeah, nice when the heat's off of Alexis for once. Um, okay, right. well, so we apologize. That was hard. <laughs> we apologize for Billy's. Bur- <laughs> 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 okay. Sorry, Alexis. Also, the the fucking program that we're using it lags our audio. So sorry if we're talking on top of each other. What were you saying, Alexis, about the emotional burden of being the butt of the joke? Is that what you're going to say? Just that it's a heavy burden. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be the most hated member of the first degree but then have like the lo- then like who some love me the most but like it's it's you know i'm the most hated member or i, wa- I well, was in the beginning i think the tides have turned now i think billy's is, the underdog this is um how you are alexis you are like kelty of the like the lady gang we have a kelty you are the Kelty of the first degree because you're you're polarizing. You're very um, intense, but in a good way. But that means that the people and how they react to you are going to react in a very intense way. Now, I have a very mild demeanor. So people react to me mildly usually. But you will have haters and then you will have stands and no one in between. Yes, girl. The wisdom. It's a, You're it's the, a, you are the Yoda of the first degree as well. The baby Yoda. <laughs> Thank you. I love baby Yoda. Okay. Do we want to move? We're going to now move on to Billy's hat because we have to talk about the hat because the hat we were actually arguing about before we started recording and I thought that it needed its own um, actual recorded conversation that we can go back to if we ever want to about Billy's hat. So Alexis, take it away. Okay. So I'm going to start with this hat. I saw Billy um, two hours ago in person. <laughs> And his hair looked amazing, like full, great. <laughs> he showered. He did his hair. 
I see him an hour and a half or so, and I bet you we didn't shower till right before. So like, it's not like it's days old hair that got greasy all of a sudden in one hour. He looked showered to me. That's that's true. So, so two hours later, I saw him at six o'clock. It's seven fifty eight, and he comes on with his like Kangol hat, like he's from the nineties, okay. and <laughs> and he knows how I feel. I we've fought about this hat several times. He tried to wear it a lot in Long Island, and I would. I'd get mean about it because it was taunting. He knew how it made me feel. He also knew how it made him feel. He only wore it when he was not feeling his best. And I knew that. And he knew that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so this is really for him. This is an intervention. Okay. I have a, okay. I have so many questions. He wears Does, it. He wears it when he's tired. He wears it when he's hungover. He wears it when he doesn't want to take a shower. He wears it when he's sad and wants to hide behind a pair of glasses. This hat is a cry for help, and I'm here to offer that hand to you. <laughs> it's the shame hat. You know, it's like there's like the shame bell. It's the shame hat that Billy wears when he's feeling he's. He's you're just like drowning in your sorrow of shame. Yeah. Billy, is are you okay? Do you I'm, want to talk yes, about something? I'm okay. Um, this is the thing. So uh this isn't the, the hat that, that Lex is normally talking about. This isn't that hat. I'm wearing sort of like a military style hat right no. now. No, you're um, wearing a paper boy hat. It's a paper it's kind of like, hat. No, no, no. But the the paper boy hat. No, no, no. This is like a like a cap, see? That's a the oh, hat that you're normally thinking. Billy, they're no, all no, the no, same. no, that's not what I, no, I was thinking of the paper. So right the, now Billy is wearing a paper ca- boy hat. Yeah. Billy is wearing, it's like a baseball cap with the one with like the little tiny short brim, which short brim, honestly, it's like a military sorry, one. Yeah. doesn't look good on anybody, but Billy, yeah. I'm just telling you, they the demonstrate, point. they look all the same. They all, they have the same effect. And and I know no, no, like no, this. no. The paper boy, it attaches to the bill. The top attaches no. to the bill in like a little poof ball. All right, here's the thing. Lex, I understand. No, 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 no. I understand the structural differences of these hats. I'm telling you, on Billy, they look the same on you no matter what. You look the same. It looks like you're wearing, to me, a Kangol hat from the 90s that Vin Diesel wore. That's what I see. It's about family. Your Kangol wear hat. That LL Cool J wore them. You're that guy. LL Cool J wore them. You're LL Cool J. They LL Cool B. Um, they but they looked good on LL Cool J. They mm, it's a different look on Billy. LL Cool J has a big round cue ball head, and Billy has hair. All right, you I know what? Understand. You know what? You know what's gonna happen? I'm I'm gonna go. You really want to want to mess with my hats? Yes. I'll start wearing much. a fedora, and we'll see what you guys think. Honestly, we'll you might not look that you. you might not look that bad in a fo- fedora, Billy. A fedora fits your vibe a little bit better than one of these paperboy hats. Mm-hmm. Billy, a beanie like a fits fed- your vibe better. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, that's enough of that. <laughs> do you want to? Well, I just wanted to know what your thought process was putting on the hat, and like, are do you need to uh, talk? Honestly, about here's my thought process: is that my hair is a little. I, I need to get a haircut before our next shoot. Haven't got a haircut in two months. And it just felt a little unwieldy when I got home. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to throw on the hat. And the hat happened to be, you know, right there. And I threw it on. I wasn't thinking that it would. uh, I do have a a bug Alexis. Yeah. Because that's the other hat. (laughs) Now I realize it's all hats. So It's not all hats. I I like your beanies. 
My no, beanie. Okay. Also, Billy, you have such a luscious, gorgeous head of hair. Oh, thank when you. most men around your age have none, you need to embrace it. Don't wear the hat. Don't cover it up. You need to let the hair flow. Yes, most Maybe grow it out more. Do not have. Again, I literally saw it two hours ago. More? I saw it two hours ago, and it looked great. It, your hair looked great. So I struggled to understand this. We were and also I was in a four-hour meeting, and I wanted to. No, it's like I was wondering, like, did you get bad news when you got home? Like, your hat no. is a sign of sadness. <laughs> That's what I was saying, too. I'm like, what do we need to discuss right now? We you need to unpack even, something. You even admitted that you do it when you're hungover, when you're sad, when you're tired. It's not a sign of your um I, just, I never said anything about answer. me being sad. Yeah. Hungover and, and not wanting to shower. Those are two things. Those yeah, are but synonymous those, those with sad. sadness. No, but that's how I know not, you. Because you're not drunk. Then, yeah, I know you, and that's how those things play off each other. Yeah, you might be a little bit right there. But, you know, I don't think that's a good marketing tool for hats. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Hats for cover when you're sad. Cover your sad. Mask your sadness. Cover your sadness. Or an obvious call for help. This hat. <laughs> so, or so your actually, yes. family to be nervous for your safety and mental health. This hat is good. <laughs> Just yes, put anybody, on a hat. Yes. If anybody's listening from Gore and Hats, uh, you know, give us a call right now. You should be advertising on our show. We can, yeah, I we can some, make some I sad some hats. Cute. I have some cute Goran hats. They just, Billy, for you, it looks sad. <laughs> hmm. I see. All right. Well, you he know knows. what? Billy, you know, deep down inside. Yeah. Well, you I know. can't wear a fedora with the headphones either. So. Guess you're just going to have to have hair like a girl like us. <laughs> and just not wear a hat. You know, you can wear headphones with just a sans hat, which is mm. what you should be doing. Anyways, this conversation has gone on far too yeah. long. What was the other thing that we wanted to talk we about? We wanted I can't to talk remember. about Pharaoh v. Allen. Yes. Okay. So I have only watched one episode of it, uh, and there has been one more episode when this will air. Um, it uh, Fucking insane. Mind-blowing. Also such a well-done documentary. Highly, highly recommend. What are your thoughts, Alexis? Highly recommend. And I I feel guilty because I knew of the uh, Woody Allen Sunni anecdote, right? It was kind of like a prevailing anecdote reference in in pop culture. Sex in the City referenced it once. how Mia Farrow and Woody Allen lived across the park from each other. And, and she was made a joke like, soon, soon me, soon ye. Like, people normalize this for some reason, probably because of, of Woody Allen's power. It became like a punchline instead of realizing yeah. the depths of pain where literally Mia Farrow found out that Woody Allen was sleeping with her daughter and, like, couldn't break up. Like, they were doing a movie together and they had children together and, like, couldn't do anything about this. And, you know, it's for those of you who know, it's pretty common knowledge, but Sunni is still with Woody Allen and Mia Farrow lost her daughter. And, and there was a lot of other abuse in this family that I don't think has ever really been talked about on a scale like this. And then you get this very fascinating look at like Ronan Farrow who, and he was the one who broke the Harvey Weinstein uh, story. Mm -hmm. And you understand on a much deeper level, his desire to like, Expose to take these men down. Yeah, because I mean, he's the only biological child between um, Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, and you know, it's it's just a fascinating, really well done story, and really just shows you how long people in 
you know, powerful men in Hollywood have been getting away with this. This is crazy. Yeah. And like when that was happening, like you said, it was just kind of like a punchline and nobody took child abuse or pedophilia to that like extent seriously at all, especially in Hollywood. It was always just like a ha ha kind of a moment. So, I mean, it's just insane looking back and how just when they're taking excerpts from his book about him talking about Dylan, her name is Dylan, right? Yes. His daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he was talking about her and stuff, it's just like it was right out there in the open. He was talking about it throughout the entirety of when the situation was happening, and not a thing happened. It was, it's so yeah. disgusting. And yeah, and he's just- so revered in Hollywood and still is. I mean, the same thing with Polanski, too. It's just yeah. like, it's like these guys were getting, and, and Harvey Weinstein, when you know that was an open, open thing that was going on. Courtney Love my made a joke about, about it. it. Yeah. And <laughs> how it was, does my Courtney, mom know about like the that Harvey Weinstein? Yeah, and, what and, Co- he was and Courtney doing. Love at award. It's like if you know if Harvey Weinstein invites you to a meeting at 11 p.m. At, at his hotel room, don't go. You know, it's like that was an open thing with these guys. But you know what? They were making money and they were making hits, so everybody looked the other way. If they had five clunkers in a row. Something might have happened, but they were all able to escape. And now you've got, you know, Roman Polanski still works. And Woody Allen's still going to work. I don't know, man. I don't know. Straight up, like, they have whole movies of of Dylan, the daughter, describing what's been done to her. I I don't think so, because this is literally pedophilia and evidence of it. And I heard through the grapevine. I heard through the grapevine that Woody Allen did everything he could legally from a litigious standpoint to try to, to kill this, but like every one of his children was on board and Mia Farrow was on board. So they were able to combat right. that. Um, and it was like, you can't deny that these were home and Mia Farrow, bless her heart, filmed everything with a home camera, yeah. which is yeah. crazy and making this even more of a compelling documentary, but it's wild. Sorry. It was a Jack or Billy who was about to say something and I cut you off. Oh, I don't know. I'm, no, I'm it, glad that it didn't get squashed. I mean, that that happens all the time where th- projects like this get squashed because somebody is powerful enough to make it happen and then you it would never see the light of day. Um, so I'm glad that it didn't because it is just such a fucked up story and something that happens all the time, especially in Hollywood. So at least somebody gets to tell their story. Yeah. And it, and it is. It's well done. And it's one of those documentaries. I know people are always just like, Oh, HBO, they put things out only a week at a time. And you know, they've said that about Unraveled. Like, can't you just put it all at once? But it's like, this is one of those where I, ca- I actually Googled, when is the next episode? Oh, you know, yeah. I, I really wanted, and I guess it comes out on Sunday. So it's like, really, you know, right after this, that's what I'm going to be watching. Yeah. So highly recommend for anybody that needs a new watch. There's only been two episodes, so it's really easy to catch up on. Sure is. All right. Well, I mean, I think that we killed enough time. We did, did 14 too. minutes and 36 seconds to be exact. Beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.